if you knew me 10, 15 years ago and, and said that I'd be up in front of people talking all the time, they'd go, yeah, right. <laughs> Such an introverted person. And, and, you know, public speaking, I had to take a public speaking class in high school. I hated it. I hated every moment of that. Yet, you know, it, it took me that first day of class being in there probably 15 minutes before I realized, you know what? I kind of like this. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, we're lucky enough to have Chris Harper from Construction and Management. Chris, well. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Happy to be here. Well, Chris, we talked a little bit. Of course, you've seen uh, our format. Yeah. We want to talk a little bit about you sure. as a person, and we'll talk about the scholarship piece. So, sure. so tell us a little bit about yourself, family, maybe sure. Uh, sure. particular interests you have, special memories from when you were a kid, yeah. et cetera. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a uh, I'm married. Um, we just celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary last week, um, which was awesome. We actually were in uh, Galveston Island, Texas, this oh, past right. weekend for our anniversary. That's great. Kind of nice, great. a little quick getaway for us, but yeah, it was yeah. nice to, to get out there. We also have we have two daughters, um, 12 and 9. Our oldest is in middle school, and she's already acting like a freshman in high school. So that's <laughs> so much fun to deal with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss my my dear little baby, but she's not that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's on a, a swim team in town um, and she loves swimming. She's been swimming since she's about six and she's an amazing swimmer. Much better than I am, that's oh. for sure. So that's really cool to that's have neat. that. She gets it from her mom. Her mom was a swimmer. Okay. I was not. <laughs> I mean, I could tread water, uh-huh. but you know, that's about the best <laughs> I can do. Um, our youngest, she's on a competitive soccer team. So that just started this past year, which has been, she's really good. Of course, it now drags us all over the state. Yes, frequent flyer miles up and down I-25. Yes, yes, yes. So we're we're traveling every weekend, swim meets and and, and soccer tournaments that we seem to be hitting up. But but it's fun. It's great to to see how my kids are are doing and growing and and, and really enjoy, um, you know, what what they do and and seeing how they can um, become their own persons. You know, yeah. I mean, as, as a parent, it's like being a, a teacher, professor, you know, you're trying to help them grow and, and move them along, except in teaching, I have a lesson plan. As a parent, I'm just trying to make it work from day to day, you know? Oh, I mean. So true, <laughs> so true. So, you know, other things I guess I could tell you a little bit about, you know, I'm not originally from Colorado. I was born in Chicago. Um, I moved here um, when I was 13 um, to Colorado. My dad worked for AT&T for almost 40 years, which... Wow. I know that's non-existent these days. Mm-hmm. People don't stay at companies like that anymore, sure. you know. But he got transferred from Chicago to, to here in the mid-90s. And, you know, kind of the rest is history on that. I, I just, you know, fell in love with living in Colorado. I mean, it, you know, some of my, my best memories are being in the outdoors in Colorado, camping, hiking, mountain biking, backpacking, you know, um, skiing, snowboarding, all that kind of we stuff. We were just talking about so, that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So we're actually, uh, we've got a trip planned. We're going to go to uh, Eldora, um, stay up in Netherlands for uh, for Thanksgiving. Good, so good. Go up there, awesome. get a few days in of, of riding and skiing and and hang out in the mountains for a few days. So that's looking great. forward to that. A nice little little break. So, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful place here in Colorado. And, and I you know, think my lucky stars every day that I honestly get to do the job I want to do in the place that I love. Pretty cool. You don't Pretty take that for granted, cool. do we? Nope. Yeah. Nope. 
Do you have a favorite spot in the state? Um, probably Breckenridge. Yeah, Breckenridge cool. has always been something that's been pretty near and dear to my heart. You know, summertime, it's beautiful there. Yeah. Plenty of outdoor stuff to do there. Obviously, you know, the, the skiing and snowboarding. I probably know Breckenridge Mountain, the peaks by the back of my hand mm -hmm. these days. I know mm -hmm. where to go and how that kind of stuff. So, you know, my parents, we had a timeshare there when we first moved up to Colorado in the mid nineties. So that really was like, well, where are you going skiing? Oh, Breckenridge, obviously that's where we got the place. So it just became a very natural place for us to go. And and, and our kids absolutely love Breck too. You know, we yeah. talked about, cause we even, our plan to, to Eldora was, well, yeah, that sounds great, cool. Why don't we go to Breckenridge? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cass is on from so, generation to like, generation. I guess we're going to Breck the next time. So it's like, we're trying to change it up, you yeah. know, but. But, you know, so so Breck is, is probably one of my favorites. But, I mean, there's so many great places in this state. My dad um, fell in love with uh, the Black Canyon. Sure. When yeah. we first went there, again, when we first moved here. And, and you know, when he passed away, his, his biggest thing is he wanted his ashes scattered there. Oh, so that's wow. a very, very sacred place yes, to our indeed. family. And, and we actually drove, went back there during COVID um, last summer, summer of 20. And I was surprised how emotional I really got, mm -hmm. you know, being back there and, mm -hmm. and just being back at the spot where we spread them. I was like, wow, that really hit me harder than I thought. But it's a very, very special place. Yeah, it is too. a special part yeah. of the state down there. It is. That's awesome. my, my favorite spot is not far from there. It's it's Uray, Mount oh, Sneffels, you Mount, know, Blue Mount Lakes Ray. Basin, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah, Unbelievably beautiful out there. So. But then the state is so awesome that we could go on for an hour about our favorite spots. This is, this is spots, true, right? right? I mean, you haven't even gotten to the northern part of the states and Steamboat and all that. I mean, exactly. those are all great, too. And Crested Butte's amazing. I mean, just... I can go on and on, pretty much. The Colorado Tourism Bureau can uh, <laughs> have a copy of this if they like. Yes, yes. yes they may. <laughs> yeah, but the weather's terrible here. Don't move here. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. You don't want to live here. It's, it's, <laughs> we have enough. <laughs> start backpedaling right away. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> and we're both transplants, right? So oh, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, yeah. I say that. I'm like, don't move him. But, but I am, too. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> You just appreciate the beauty. That's not exactly. a bad thing, right? Exactly. So. So tell me about uh, you, sort of your educational pathway. Hmm. An open-ended question if there ever was one. It's a right? yeah. very interesting question to me because I did not follow a very um, traditional path. I did not go to college right out of high school. Um, okay. The one thing I always grew up to, though, was my dad was, I don't care what you do as long as you go to college. You know, and that was kind of our generation Y. Like, everybody's got to go to college. You got to go to college. And and I got out of high school and went, I'm not going to college. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do, honestly. I, I was I was working at a pizza place. You know, I was managing and delivering pizzas. And I was making pretty decent money for being 18. I'm like, that's fine, you know. And, of course, my pr pressure from my dad. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to school? Are you going to school? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so I started taking some, you know, classes at community college and, and went to Metro State for a little while. Mm -hmm. and, and finally, I had some friends that actually started working for a plumbing company in, in Parker, Colorado. And, and that's where I went to high school. And, and when, you know, they came to me one day, I was like, yeah, we're working in plumbing and stuff, you know, making pretty decent money. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to get into that kind of stuff. It's messy and dirty and that and stuff. And they're like, well, it pays $16 an hour to start. I'm like, okay. So what, Monday morning, 7 a.m.? 
I'll be there. <laughs> you know, and in the mid '90s, that's that's pretty darn good money right yeah. there. You know, for an hourly wage, and so it just pulled me into the trades, and and I loved it because it was really about building and putting pipes and things in the walls, and and I grew up building forts and go-karts and Legos. And, and that's all the stuff all our friends would do. I mean, we'd disappear in the summertime. We'd disappear all day and go build forts out in the middle of the forest mm-hmm. outside of Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing and, and, and do that kind of stuff. So so this really hit me and it really was like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know. And I kind of worked my way up into that and, and, and worked for a, as a plumber for, for almost five years um, before I decided to go get my, my undergrad. Because I'd, I'd gotten to a point where I realized, I don't know if I really wanted to do the actual install of work, I wanted to help manage that mm-hmm. work. I was getting into more roles of leading crews and, and and managing more of the work than actually doing it. And I really felt like, wow, this is really what I like to do now. And so I realized at that point, you know, maybe I, I found what I want to do, you know. So I, I went and then I, I enrolled at, at, at CU Boulder. Sorry, I know, wrong school. I know. We are going to edit this part out. That's fine. (laughs) I get it. That's fine. Um, You know, enrolled there in their civil engineering program because they had a construction construction engineering and management program within the department there. Um, And, you know, this was, I was 23 when I started my undergrad, but I had enough credits from some of my other classes and stuff that it pretty much transferred in a year. And by 26, I had my undergrad. Um, And my last semester, my undergrad of, of civil engineering, I had a Professor, um, Professor Keith Molinar approached me about, you know, would you want to stay on and do a master's? And I said, well, I don't know. What's that really going to do for me? And of course, you know, mid 20s, I'm single at the time, just going, I'm just trying to make money. What's this going to do for me? Oh, it's going to help me make more money? Sure, why not? You know, so I actually was working for a company at the time, full time, as I was doing my master's and ended up working with uh, um, Dr. Jim Diekman. Um, who's a professor emeritus now in, in, at, at CU for my master's degree and did my master's, loved every moment, moment of it, did some research on schedule optimization for projects. That was my, my master's thesis work. Finished that. I remember walking out of my last class that I was taking and going, huh, I'm never going to step foot in a classroom ever again. <laughs> I am done with education. This is amazing. Yet this was, you know, mid 2000s now and then the recession hit in 2008 and which was really hard on the construction industry uh the company i had been working for for almost you know five six years really since my undergrad had laid me off um, laid off a bunch of us actually at the time in 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 mid 2008 that company actually went out of business in 2010 unfortunately it was really a casualty of the uh, recession um and you know i was fortunate enough to actually get picked up by another company not too long after being laid off i honestly attribute that to my master's degree i was in a role that i was much more qual i was i was more qualified for than i should be but it was a position Uh and this was a time where i was newly married and we had our first child on the way. So I'm like, well, I gotta have a job. It doesn't matter what I'm doing at this point. And it just, you know, it lost kind of its luster. It wasn't the same as what I was doing before. I didn't have the same responsibilities. It was also a time in construction that it was very hard to get work. And so you had people doing things that were getting to be, in my mind, against my morals and unethical practices Mm -hmm. that actually started to articulate into our company where I had my boss asking us to us, us as bidders and project managers to do these kind of unethical things wow. that really, really bothered me. You know, I couldn't sleep at night. You know, it was just it was too conniving and too cutthroat. And, and at the time, you know, I started communicating again with with Dr. Diekman, mm-hmm. um, who now at this point, he was a professor emeritus. When I was still with him, he was his professor um, when I was doing my master's. But started talking to him. and He's like, yeah, you should you know come back and talk with 
um, Dr. Molinar again. I was like, sure, sure. You know, so sit down with him. He's like, you really want to do a PhD? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, what's it really involve? I'll do some research and some classes. Great. I can kind of do that stuff. I've always been good at school, you know, and I thought, well, I'll do that. And I'll, I'll go right back to industry when I'm done. And, oh, you can consult. Oh, great. That's where you get to make decisions and recommendations, but there's no, no risk. Sure. I'll take that, you know? So that was my whole plan. And, and I got into the program and literally I started in the summer of 2011 and a month in, there was a senior instructor that ended up having to leave abruptly because he was working for a solar power company that got bought out by another solar power company that was going to make him like the president or CEO of his company. So he had to leave. So so at this point, the department was stuck, didn't have somebody to teach their intro to construction class. And so um, Keith, Keith Molinar came to me and said, well, do you want to teach it? And I went, Okay, so this is like July of 2011. Classes start in six weeks. I don't think I slept for six weeks because I didn't know what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. I had never taught a class before. I was one that that if you knew me 10, 15 years ago and and said that I'd be up in front of people talking all the time, they go, yeah, right. (laughs) Such an introverted person. And, and, you know, public speaking, I had to take a public speaking class in high school was was God awful. I hated Mm -hmm. it. hated every moment of that. Yet. You know, it it took me that first day of class being in there probably 15 minutes before I realized, you know what, I kind of like this. And it really started to grow more and more throughout the semester. And I was really getting great feedback from students that, yeah, you're doing a great job. And, And I got great, you know you know, score when we used to do the scoring of classes, you know, kind sure, of our, sure. our, yeah. our, our surveys that we used to do in, yeah. in previous, it was getting really good marks on that, which made me feel, wow, this is amazing. I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. And so I got another chance to do some, some um, assistance with the uh, capstone class a couple times throughout my time doing that, but realized that, no, this is what I want to do. I want to teach. I want to be in research and I want to be teaching and I want to, see what I can do to, to, to give back to industry because the, one of the biggest self-satisfactions of this job, honestly, is, is watching students grow mm. and seeing how they mature and change and how they're going to become the leaders of our industry. And they're the ones that are going to be building these amazing projects that help our society and, and move us into the future. It's not going to be me. And, and that self-satisfaction is so much bigger than, than watching any of these buildings I helped construct come out of the ground. Yeah. I mean, that was great. And I could drive around Denver and some of the other places I've worked and see them. And that's wonderful. But when I get a, a phone call or a LinkedIn message from a previous student asking me questions about this or that, that that is much more, you know, self-satisfying to me than than any of those projects I ever built. You know, so so it's it's an v- interesting journey that I've taken to where I'm at. But I was 35 and I realized what I finally wanted to do in life. You know, so you know, for anybody that's out there, you think you got to figure it out when you're in high school or even in your 20s, you got time. You got time. You know, this is such great advice and in, in, in the, the, the nine conversations, I suspect we'll see this unfold over the next several years. You know, the perfectly linear pathways are, are exceedingly rare. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. There's, yeah. there's this mythology that's built up around that, you know, as if we all sort of knew we wanted to be sitting here when we were five years old or something. <laughs> right. Or well, 25. I mean, for that that was kind of it when you're a kid. You're like, well, you do elementary school, then you do middle school. Well, at that, that time it was junior high. Now it's called middle school, but junior high and then high school and college. I mean, that was the natural progression, you know. And then when I broke that progression, it was just kind of, like, oh, God, what are you doing? But look where I got. You know, could I have gotten here sooner? Probably not, because I don't think I was mature enough to do what I wanted to do when I was 18, Yeah. you know. And, and so realizing that stuff, I, you know, it, it probably helped me. But was it later in life before I figured it out? Sure. But 
it doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. And I love everything I do every single day that I'm here. Yeah, I think it's you amazing. can make a really good case, too, that your experiences inform how you approach teaching and mentoring, right? Oh, in a absolutely. way that, that had it been the speeding bullet, you know, yeah. pathway, would it would have, you, right? Because right, those all would have been hypotheticals. That's exactly yeah. it. Right? Exactly it. Yep. That's yep. neat to see. Yep. So at some point, we managed to coax you to come up the road <laughs> a little bit to CSU. So tell yes. us about that transition here. <laughs> So that's another journey as well. Um, so as I finished my PhD at, at CU, um, I actually was hired at LSU, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, into their Department of Construction Management. So I started there in 2014. That was my first teaching job, first assistant professor job, um, and first time living in the South. So it was a, a definitely a change for us, um, a, big, a big adjustment to, to Baton Rouge and, and, and the New Orleans area. Um, but you know, my job there was wonderful. You know, I had an amazing boss that was, you know, from day one was more of a mentor than, than, than a manager, you know, was, was from day one going, okay, my job here is to make sure you get to tenure, you know? And so what, what do I need to do to help you get to that? You know, it was always more of a mentor to that had great colleagues to work with. Um, we ended up, they built a brand new engineering building, which CM was in the engineering school there. So we had brand new office buildings and spaces to work in. And, and it was great. And, and we loved, you know, we had a wonderful house. It was cheaper to live there oh, than Colorado. Sure. Yeah. Except that was the one problem. It wasn't Colorado. And, <laughs> you know, that was, and, 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 you know, being somebody that's a hiker and a biker and a camper, it's hard to camp in the summer when it's 9,000% humidity mm -hmm. outside, you know, mm -hmm. and telling us to go, oh, there's these state parks you can go. And they're, they're beautiful state parks, but when the elevation gain is like 20 feet, yep. you know, like this is, yep. I'm like, yeah, this is just not doing it for me, you know? And, and we're not, you know, a lot of people are boaters and fishers and, and, and we're not really into that kind of stuff, you know, our family. And so it wasn't, just wasn't as conducive to what we wanted to have. Yeah. Um, and, and we really wanted to get back closer to family. You know, my mom lives, lives here in the Denver area. I have two brothers and a sister that live in the Denver metro area as well. And, and a lot of our friends still live in the Boulder area, you know, from my wife went to see you. I went to see you as well. So it was just, you know, when, you know, it was always a process that when we were at LSU, that it was, that was not going to be my full-time permanent job. You know, it was something that my wife and I kind of looked at. I was like, well, we'll be here for six years. You can get tenure, make sure you get your tenure and then we'll see what comes along. Well, for three years in a job opening opened here at CSU. And she said, well, you might as well at least try applying for it. And I went, okay. So I applied for it and got interviewed. And I did not hide any of my, you know, wants to be back in Colorado in the interview. I said, yeah, you know, and, and I was, I've been pretty successful at LSU. I brought in plenty of research money. I'd had federal money already at this point. I'd written numerous papers. So I've been pretty successful already on the research side. I was doing great with teaching. Um, I was helping develop graduate classes at LSU. So I was sitting in a really great position yeah. and, and headed towards tenure at LSU. And, and being three years in and four years in when I actually left LSU was kind of a risk because of the fact that I'm four years in. I was only a year, two years out from tenure there. And yeah. now I'm taking the risk of hopefully allowing them to carry some of that over. But then I still have to reprove myself in a much shorter amount of time sure. now. And, and so when I interviewed with it, I, you know, they knew all my accolades, but I told them, I was like, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons is, is this is a, a very much a, a personal move that, that the family and I will, we think we would thrive better being back in Colorado, mm -hmm. you know, and made that perfectly clear and they still hired me. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I guess my accolades and my success at LSU really did pay off for that, but it really was 
kind of nerve wracking that first year because I really wasn't bringing any research money. Um, you know, I only had one grad student at the time. Um, I was still trying to get my bearings and how the department, you know, functions because every department functions differently. As much as I went from CM to CM, it was different ins and outs, different administration, different, you know, strategic processes of what you want to do within the department, different focus of things. So that stuff and, and, and really not getting much research really kind of freaked me out the first year being here. And then I actually started to pick up some work. I got a, a small little grant here actually to work on some open access information for teaching. So I converted one of my classes all open access now um, using Creative Commons and some of those sure, sites and yeah. things. So every all the material I use now is completely open access. Mm -hmm. There's no textbook anymore. There's an optional one. They can get it if they want to, but, but I've built it now enough to do that. And that just kind of led to some more work and, and finally ended up getting a project um, in January of 2020, right before COVID, yay, um, a $450,000 grant, um, federal grant on development for construction inspectors workforce. Mm -hmm. And that really, once that hit, I went, okay, I think I'm good now and this whole tenure thing and able to get some more papers out and, and, and submitted for tenure in the summer of 2020. and, and went through that really well and, and, and got my tenure. And now I'm sitting here as an associate tenured professor at CSU, which I'm, I'm unbelievably grateful for. Um, sometimes can't believe it. <laughs> and, you know, unlike where I was at LSU going, you know, I don't see myself being here. I see myself being here at CSU as long as I possibly can be. We love Fort Collins. This place is amazing for raising a family. It's so family friendly. There's so much to do. I mean, we were at Horsetooth probably the entire pandemic because, well, we're outdoors and exactly. we're, we're socially, you know, exactly. socially distanced. Let's get our paddle boards. We just go up to Horsetooth, you know. <laughs> so we spent a lot of that time and just we love this place, love the town. Kids are doing great in school. They're doing great in their sports. You know, my wife's she's a master's student here um, oh, in the cool. School of Ed. Yeah, um, right. She's getting her degree in counseling. Good for um, her, yeah. So her master's degree. So she'll be done next summer with that. But she's she teaches at Weber Middle School. She's an English teacher wow, here. So. Yeah. Very academic based, very education based family, but you know we we do very well here, and we're very happy to be here. So tell us about what you got going on, and we use the term lab loosely here, but yeah. your, your sort of scholarship. What, you know, what are you most excited about? My lab. I love the term lab because I don't use a lab and I don't do experiments. Right. So, and that's always the thing that comes to mind when people, oh, you do research. Well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you're in construction. You must be messing around with like concrete and dirt and stuff. I'm like, nope, never done that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never once, never once have I done anything like that. My lab is, is, is construction sites, construction companies, mm -hmm. construction projects, that type of stuff. That's my lab. My lab is all about looking at, I should stop saying that. My research at this point is all about looking at how to improve processes between design, construction, operation, and maintenance of construction projects. Mm -hmm. that, that's my ultimate overview of what I do. You know, and, and a lot of the stuff touches on, you know, I've mentioned workforce, you know, trying to help develop a new generation of construction inspectors because right now we have an aging construction inspector workforce. Heck, we have an aging workforce across the board, but sure. some of these areas are, are, are much more extreme than others. And, and, and inspectors seem to be that way. Hmm. We're not getting people that want to go into that role. That's it's interesting. very interesting. Yeah. That they, and part of it, I think, even, you know, even in construction management, I don't know how much we do our due diligence of teaching about inspection roles, too. Sure. So it's just kind of one of those off to the side type of things that people kind of fall into. Uh -huh. And so that's becoming a problem because... We're having people retire, 
taking that knowledge with them. They don't have any way to pass that on. So you're losing your knowledge management and your legacy of how things are done. You're also looking at the fact that in the last 10 years, construction has implemented more technologies than ever before. And to do these technologies to construct things, you actually have to have the technologies to inspect them as well. And it's not as easy as just going, here you go, here's the, here's the device to inspect it. They have to know how to use that thing now. And, and you're, you're talking about folks that in the past have been using you know, rods and tapes and, and, and that kind of stuff. And now you're giving these technologies. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot to, to overcome. And, and, and it's also, you're talking about different generational differences. You know, a lot of you know, the, the more seasoned experienced ones, they may not be as technically inclined as some. But you also have the problem on the other end. You know, these folks that, oh, well, you know, the generations are coming out now. They've always lived in a world of the Internet and they know technologies. Well, do they? Because mm -hmm. there's been times that I've talked to folks where it's like, oh, we just give them all iPads and they still can't do it right because they just think they know what they're doing, but they really don't. Wow. So you just don't have the right training in place for some of these things, too. So there's there's a major issue there. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, you see things like road construction projects that seem to take forever and take longer than you expect. And all we all wear is a complaint about, oh, road, why is it? A lot of it has to do right now, they don't have enough inspectors to, to inspect the work. So they're either doing risk-based inspections where they're saying, yeah, inspect this, but not this, taking that risk, or they're waiting to get inspectors. And if they're waiting, that takes time. And if you're wrong in your risk-based inspections, now you're gonna have quality issues. Now you have maintenance issues when you go along once this project is in operation. So there's a lot of different issues here, especially on that workforce side that we're trying to address with this, this one project that I'm working on with. Uh, it's through uh, the National Academies of Science. So it's a, it's a pretty big deal of trying to develop some more guidance around developing construction inspectors. That's um, really neat. So that, that's a big aspect. Um, and then touching on back into the technology side, a lot of things of looking at not how technologies work, but how to implement them mm -hmm. into specific aspects of construction. What could we use a drone for? You know, well, we could fly a site. You know, fly a site at the beginning of the, the week, end of the week, compare the progress. That's a lot easier to do than you're walking on the, on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So there's things like that. You're using um, you know, LIDAR and laser scanning to map out sites now that you know, I've talked to, again, more stuff on transportation side, but like Utah. Utah DOT has pointed out that they used to, it used to take them weeks, if not months, to go survey out roads in some of their more desolate areas, which I'm sure it's similar here. I mean, if you go up in the northwest corner of Colorado, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take forever to kind of map those things out with people with boots on the ground. They can go now out there with, with you know, a hand, handful of folks, fly it with a couple drones in a couple days, process it in a couple days. They're done in a week now. Isn't that something? Amazing. Yeah. How, but it's all about figuring out where to put these things though too because everybody's got ooh boom bang this is awesome look at this cool technology look at this this is awesome and you're like yeah i need to buy that and then you get in you're like well what do i do with it exactly yeah. you know and, and and that's part of it too is just trying to make sure before you jump into something like that what is what are you going to get back from that you know from that technology what is your return on investment here you know what is the cost benefit analysis around should we buy a set of drones or not should we be investing in intelligent you know and compaction machines and things like that should we invest on, on smart you know equipment that's talking does it all make sense and that's part of it too is not just to say hey we've got to be using this technology we have to find the right place to do it and the most cost effective way to do it well said you know, so it makes a big difference on that side of things, too. So so a lot of that and then also just the, the contracting aspect, you know, looking at creating the right teams for projects. 
You know, how do you find the right people to be on a project? Who is the right constructor? Who's the right subcontractors? Who's the designer that's going to work well with them? How does this all mesh with the owner? And it's still, you know, it's it's one of those questions still, I think it's, it's still somewhat elusive on what's the right team, mm-hmm. you know, because every construction project is different from the next. You know, we're not building, and I use this analogy in class all the time, we're not building F-150s. You know, F-150 comes down the line, you're throwing the same bumper on that thing. Oh, you're changing out for a different trim model. Okay, whatever. You know, same thing coming down the line. Every Walmart we build, yeah, they look the same inside, but every time they're constructed, it's different. You've got different site conditions. You've got different different players because you're in a different region, so you've got different parties that are involved with it. You're going to have different design you know, codes and things you've got to adhere to because they change from municipality to city to city. So all those things yeah. vary that makes it very difficult to know, who do I have on this team that's going to make this work? And it's never the same thing twice. And it's right? never the same thing twice because yeah. I've even worked in, in part of this, part of the stuff from the contracting even comes from my experience working in industry because sometimes I get projects that on paper and a team going, man, this is going to rock. This is going to be great. And then you hit the ground and you're like, oh my God, this is a disaster. Mm. And another project, next one come along and be like, ugh. This is not going to go well. This design's not great. I don't know if I got a great team here. I'm taking on a lot of, and it goes great. And it's just sitting there going, well, why in the world, if it's supposed to go this way? And it really comes down to the fact that you can really take a lot of our process and procedures that we use in design and planning and constructing. You can throw that all out the window if you don't have the right people on a project. And, and it really makes a huge difference because when you have the right people, there's trust. There's collaboration. You're working together. You're never looking at the contract ever. And that is a successful project because if that happens, you have a very good chance that you're going to finish on time, on budget, quality you want, the functionality you want. Owner's going to be happy. And we live in an industry of reputation. Owner's happy. Hey, repeat work. That's huge. This is such a key lesson. Yes. Yes, it is. Blueprints don't construct themselves, do they? No. I don't know if I get through to my students on this stuff a lot, (laughs) but I talk a lot about this stuff in my classes, all my classes, regardless of what I'm teaching, because it makes a huge difference. It sure does. It makes a huge difference. My goodness. If you don't have the right people, it it makes it much more difficult to do things. You know, but you also have to learn in those situations, if you don't have the right people, how to work through those things, yeah. you know. So uh, there's definitely projects that I've worked on, had great teams. There were other ones, not so much, but I still had to get through them. It's not like I could go, oh, this is a disaster. Hey, can I get put on another project? No, I mean, <laughs> no, it's just, you know, can I transfer out of this class or to another district or something? No, you, you have to figure out how to still manage that. So that's part of what I'm trying to teach, too, is some of that soft stuff of how do you deal with more difficult people how do you deal with the complainer that's on your site that just you know they're just going to complain about something is you know all that ladders in my way i'm like seriously that's what you're complaining about you got a lat i mean let me move it for you i mean geez louise you know but you're going to have these folks that you've got to deal with and you still have to handle them in a very professional and respectful manner i am huge on professionalism in my classes i am i actually have included professionalism on my syllabi that I'm not only here to train you on how to schedule a project or how mechanical systems work. I'm also here to train you on how you handle yourself in industry. How do you handle somebody when they come to you and say, hey, the schedule's not going to work for me. I'm not showing up tomorrow. You know, how do you handle something when a mechanical uh, supplier calls you and goes, we screwed up your order. It's not going to be there next week. Now what do you do? I mean, that kind of stuff. And, and you can't sit there and just start screaming back to them. Exactly. And you can't sit there and go, well, you screwed me over here. Thanks a lot. 
do you think they're going to help you along the way then? Heck no. It's, oh, they're delayed a week? Now it's delayed two weeks. Weird how that worked out, right? So, you know, it's, it's and a lot of this obviously comes from my industry experience. I, I really, you know, as much as I love my industry career, I, I absolutely love academics, but I would not be able to do what I can do as a teacher if I did not work Precisely. in industry for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I did not have that, I don't know how I would be able to teach how I do. Yeah. I really do. Because what it's like out there can't be gleaned from a textbook, right? That's right. You got to go That's do right. it. Yeah. It's a very much a very practical area, a practical industry that we can teach you and show you all the concepts and stuff like that. But unless you see it's in action, you really don't see how it all really works. You know, what's really interesting to me about this, we, we toss around this word interdisciplinary all the time. Yeah. And we tend to think about, you know, between different units in a college or across sure. college borders or what have you. But here, here we're talking about within a single class in CM, an extraordinarily wide ranging disciplinary focus. You got sort of the human factors, the psychology piece, there's an economics component. Yep. I mean, yep. it's, this is yep. one class. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. My goodness, we don't, we, you know, sometimes you don't have to go look behind your department borders to do interdisciplinary work. It's just it is. inherent it's, in what we do, it, it right? It is, it is. And, and, and everything we do really flows from one class to the next, too. And, and so it really does give them all the flavors that are out there. But again, when you're taking estimating in one semester and scheduling the next semester, you're not necessarily seeing how they're connected mm-hmm. and how they're worked on a day-to-day basis. And that's what they see when they do their internships. That's what they see when they get their first jobs out there of how that stuff actually comes together. And, and it's amazing how many students, and, and I, I tell my students at the end of every semester, I'm like, once a student, always a colleague. If you ever need anything, you're more than welcome that's to look great. me up. And yeah. I get students on LinkedIn, texting, even calling me sometimes going, man, you were right about that stuff. I'm like, no kidding. Right? You just thought I was making it up when I was teaching it. I was just making that stuff up. He's like, no, what are you talking about? How these people act and do things. I'm like, right. That's how it works in industry. So you see why I bring that stuff up in class. I'm like, man, nobody else ever talked about that in class. I'm so glad you did that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm giving you guys what, what I see in, in industry. I can sit there and tell you, well, this is how you do a CPM schedule. You know, and this is the, the calculations and all that. But at the end of the day, what does that mean when you're in the field? When you show somebody in the field, like, this is what I need you to do, and they tell you, no, that's not going to work, or I don't have the resources to pull that off, what do you do? How does that, you know, you need to know how to act to those things. And if I'm not teaching to that, then, then what good is it to know that a schedule, oh, we did an update on our schedule, and we're behind by three days. Okay, what do you do now? Oh, oh that's it. We're behind by three days. No, it's telling you now, okay, what do I got to do to get myself back on track? What do I have to do in terms, what's it going to cost me to get back on track? What what other resources do I need to bring to, to speed up some of my project? You can't make those decisions and understand those unless you talk about that stuff in your classes because if they just sit there and go, oh, it's behind by three days, there's no, that critical thinking aspect is not there. That management aspect isn't there. And so that's where that comes into play. And it has to, at least in my mind, of how I teach this stuff, because if they don't see that, we're training them to be construction managers, not constructors. Mm. There's that management piece that's there. And so that has to come along with it. And learning how to think on your feet only comes by practicing it, right? That's right. (laughs) Practice, 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 practice. I can definitely tell you (laughs) I made plenty of mistakes in the first numerous years of of my, my career, especially as a plumber, you know. Being in my teens and early 20s, you know, just doing stupid crap, mm-hmm. you know, the things you always hear about of, you know, contractors showing up, but they can't do their work, so they leave. So that would be us. We'd leave, you know, that kind of thing. And just looking back, I'm like, man, I was pretty immature. 
<laughs> but you didn't know any better, yeah, right? Sure. You know, yeah, and, sure. and I'm just following the cues of, of my friends and colleagues I was working with too at the time. And I'm like, well, this is how we do it, you know, kind of thing. And of course, you know, if I knew what I knew now back then, it would be a different thing, but that's always the adage, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, the older we get, the better we're, we understand things, but it's just like, yeah, but if I'd known what I was doing when I was 18 now, <laughs> wow, what a, what a different world it would have been, right? But that's, so true. that's, I guess, you know, that's the... The path of life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, just doing the progressions here, well said. through the motions. So, so, so we're, I'm going to nudge your gaze from 18 to five years down the road. Okay, I want you to think about Chris Harper as a dad and husband, and okay. and Fort Collins community member yep. and scholar and sure. teacher and mentor. Five years down the road. That's a great question. So five years that would put my daughter as a junior in high school. Oh man, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there's that aspect of it. Um, five years. I know in five years my wife um, will be in a much better place with her master's degree. And she wants yeah. to get into more. She wants to get into more career counseling, not like the actual, you know, um, psychological thing. Sure. More of the yeah. career counseling and helping students find their their paths. She's even, you know, high school or even college level doing advising and Great. that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And so I know I, I'm very excited for her. Yeah. Um, she's She's been one that... She's gotten tired of the classroom, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as she rests her heart for dealing with those middle schoolers. She, yeah. she you know, there's only so much you can take, sure, I think, sometimes. Sure. Um, and so she's really looking forward to that. So that's going to make a big difference in, in, in how we, we function and, and what we can do in the next several years. My youngest, she's just crazy and outgoing and, and, and nuts, and she's going to do great. I don't worry about either of my kids in that aspect. They're very – they're great kids that way, and I think we do – pretty good job parenting you know always like i said there's no script for that one indeed so we do the best there but then i guess for myself boy this is always the ones where it's like i'm now i'm put on the spot and i really have to think of something that sounds (laughs) good right no i mean five years from now i don't i still see myself here um i i don't see myself going anywhere else um csu is our home um for my career fort collins is our home for our lives um I do see myself trying to to move forward with with some more bigger research ideas, bigger factors. I mean, so I've already talked about some of the construction inspector workforce stuff. Where you know I'm already working with a, another colleague in the department, um, Dr. John Elliott, of just trying to conceptualize like a, a workforce center um, type of research aspect of trying to set up something that could be collaborative between University of Colorado. Denver University, University of Wyoming, CSU obviously would be, you know, would lead that effort of, of creating more of a construction uh, workforce development type of center where we could bring in and, and develop the training around things that can be taught at even community college, even, you know, Red Rocks Community College. Why don't we have something that's more set up that, that's geared, that matches with us here? Um, if, if some people could take, you know, through their associates there and then transfer over or at least give them a way to, if they get an associate's degree, maybe they get a certificate for inspection. You know, that kind of stuff that we can start to involve more of those things and being collaborative across the different schools provides more resources, provides a wider aspect of who we can reach. But there's a big issue, obviously, as I mentioned about construction inspectors, but we also have a major issue with with not enough engineers. We have a major issue with not enough craft workers, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find pipe fitters, plumbers, electricians, welders. Very difficult these days. Um, and, and, and when you can find them, you're paying that premium for them, you know. And so looking at trying to develop better programs around those aspects, because as much as I was in that generation of, hey, you got to go to college. 
And I teach at a college. I don't necessarily think everybody should go to college. Indeed. Wow. There are definitely plenty of roles out there that you don't need to go to college and you will do just fine in, in, in construction industry. You will do very successful. I'm sure there's actually welders that are out there that probably make hell of a lot more money than I do. And they probably never set foot in a classroom, in a college classroom. There's nothing wrong with that. There's mm -hmm. absolutely nothing wrong with that. You can still be successful at that stuff, but it's all about trying to get the right trainings in the right places and, and, and also encouragement. How do we draw people more towards this? You know, a, a lot of you know folks don't necessarily see construction trades as a place to work anymore. You know, a lot of times construction trades were handed off from generation to generation. You just you, you, your dad took you to work with them, you know, and right out of high school, you just started working with your dad again. You know, we're losing some of that. So we're losing more people seeing these trades as, as, as a clear career path. And so trying to, to develop more around that, because there's a lot of talk about, you know, 2030, what's it going to look like in 2030? Well, you know, you think the work shortage is bad now. Mm -hmm. Wait another nine, 10 years, it's going to be a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. So it's looking at that, but also, you know, not only the workforce development, but where does technology's place in this? Where does the technology go from not only making us more efficient, but actually start to supplement some of that workforce because and it's not to say oh we're going to take jobs away from people no we don't have people for those jobs so we need something there yeah. and so it's all about looking at where we can do to help improve that because if we keep going down the path we're at you know projects are going to cost a hell of a lot more they're going to take a hell of a lot longer and it's just going to become more and more frustrating just not only for the people working on it but for society but it's not inevitable no it's not no, there's, there's definitely, and as much as I sit here, you know, it's not like I'm the only one working on stuff like this. Sure. There are plenty of colleagues that I know of that are working on similar stuff and probably plenty more that I don't know that yeah. are working on stuff like this because it is a major issue in construction right now. We don't have enough people to do the work that we need to do. And, and it's not like the work's going to slow down, right. you know, and, and it's not like the technologies are going to go away. We need to figure out how to get this workforce to grow, but also to embed more of these technologies that it becomes a much more technology-based industry that is using these things to help offset those shortages, but also to make ourselves more efficient. And if the industry doesn't move quickly, it will become more and more inevitable, right? And that's right. The longer you that's wait right. to... That's right. Yeah, that's a big part of it. So, mm -hmm. so I guess that's my biggest drive right now, is, is looking at that of how I can continue to help improve the industry and, and, and striving towards something like that Workforce Center that, you know, hopefully in five years, that does become something of a, a more of a reality than, than a concept that, that just a couple of professors have been talking about. That would be cool. I look forward to it. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'll come back in and talk then about it, too. We'll get you yes. back. <laughs> you definitely will. Yeah. You definitely will. <laughs> I have two more questions, yeah. and it's really related to, to sort of the environment in which we find ourselves sure. fortunate enough to work. So the first one's about the college, and yep. I'm just interested in your reflections on what you like the most about working in the College of Health and Human Sciences. The most um, is the diversity of the college. I mean, it is the biggest college on, on campus, and, and the programs are – one from different to the next. I mean, you know, I, I see things from occupational therapy going, wow, that's fascinating. I would have never thought mm -hmm. that that's something you can research, but that, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. You know, people working with food nutrition or working with, you know, therapy, but also then working with how to improve families. And yet we're over here trying to figure out how to make construction better. And every one of these are all very labor or human intensive, you know, departments. I mean, it mm -hmm. takes people to do these things, right? Well you know, we're not in engineering where it takes a lot more 
of, of engineering and, and softwares and technologies today, we really need the people to do what we do. And just seeing that diversity is, is, is amazing to me because there's, there's so much that's going on um, that I just see so many different avenues of where people could collaborate, um, where people could branch out, you know, even put themselves in, in, in a less comfortable position sure. even, it, yeah. but at least see, hey, would this work? Mm -hmm. You know, what could, what could CM and occupational therapy do together? Mm -hmm. You know, what could family studies and CM do together? Because you, right now, there's another major issue in construction, and it's been there a long time, but it's finally getting press, is, is the psychological side of things in construction. Mm -hmm. Construction has one of the highest suicide rates out of any industry. We also have one of the highest um, opiate and addiction type of, of problems as well in the industry. And that's been overlooked for, for decades. Yeah. And it's finally getting pressed now that we're not taking care of our workers. We're not taking care of our people. And why couldn't there be something to branch off with family studies to look mm -hmm. at something here? Is there something that... So just looking at those different aspects of what could collaborate here really makes... Um, a big impression on me. I haven't gotten to that step. <laughs> now I also I also blame it a little bit on the fact my you know first three years here was I just got to make sure I get my tenure. But now being at the associate level, I'm definitely exploring more of these aspects oh, to say great. I think there's a lot more collaboration that could be going on in this college. And 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 the fact that that's able to happen, I love that aspect. Sky's the limit as far as yeah, I'm concerned. For sure. A lot of potential. Right? That's yeah. incredible. Yep. The next layer up is this yep. institution, CSU, and we uh, constantly and proudly remind ourselves that we were at a land grant. Yep. yep. So what does that mean to Chris? Opportunities. Okay. Um, you know, you have your main campus here, which has got, you know, a lot going on sure does. all the time. You've got your mountain campus. Mm -hmm. You've got stuff going on up there. There's definitely some things that even from our aspect of, of collaborating with them. And, and I believe there's somebody in our department that's been doing some stuff with them on, um, you know, doing some stuff from the wildfires. Of oh, looking up how to recover yeah. in, in terms of, of construction and what planning needs to go into how to recover from that mm -hmm. stuff. So, so even that aspect of things. And then also the CSU extension, sure. I think, is, is, a, is, is an unbelievable great opportunity um, of the different aspects and the different areas across the whole state that really ties us into being a very Colorado-centric school, well which is amazing, yeah. you know, even more so than CU, CU Boulder was. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I am saying that to say that, but I am saying that <laughs> to say that really I do feel much more that, that CSU is tied closer to Colorado than, than, than other schools in the, in the state. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's just it has that feel for it, that it is the, co the college of, of, of Colorado. And even in the extension program, you know, I did, you know, I was working with Douglas County for, for a few months when I first started here of, mm -hmm. of trying to help them. They're, they were trying to, they have a dilapidated historical building at one of their, their sites at a, at a park, which literally was 10 minutes from my house when we moved here in oh, Parker. Wow. So it was oh, like, wow. oh my God, I remember this place yeah, and all this sure. stuff. And you guys, and they were trying to save the building without, you know, having it torn down. And so I was helping them to kind of coordinate some of the historical aspects of it and, and helping them to get some folks in there to take a look at it. It's been slow going. I know they've done some renovation to it um, up to this point, you know, three years later, but it is something that I still talk with them every six months ago to see, hey, how's it going? How's that still moving oh, forward? And, and still trying to help with that aspect so you know it's some of the stuff that i do and having those opportunities it doesn't have to be involving research money and grants it just has to do am i making a difference in helping something then i'm going to do it you know That's and those opportunities are here at csu because of that land grant mission because of those aspects that are there so well said yes 
Absolutely. I didn't even write that. That wasn't scripted. That was just <laughs> extemporaneous. It's the best way to do it. That's how it works. That's, that's, that's that training. That's that CM. There you go. See? Digging, that's right, man. You gotta your be feet. on your feet, man. That's right, you gotta yeah. be on your feet. So awesome. That's awesome. Yep. Big fun, Chris. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Really this has it. been great to talk with you, Al. So looking forward to the, the series coming out and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yes. We look forward to that. Awesome. Too. Thanks cool. for your time. Too. Thanks, Albert. Thanks. See you. And that's our show. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Health and Human Science Matters. If you want to learn more about our CSU College of Health and Human Sciences, visit our website, chhs.colostate.edu.